G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. The problem in today's society is that everybody wants to turn to anything but Jesus to have their needs met. That's the problem. You see what a mistake this is? Jesus knows you better than you know yourself because he put you together bit by bit, piece by piece. Today. 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 Today with Jeff Fines, pastor, apologist, and Bible teacher. Hi, my name is Bill and welcome to Today with Jeff Vines. Today we'll hear more from Pastor Jeff's Awakening series. And remember, all of the messages are available wherever you listen to your podcasts. In this message, we're talking about excuses. We can have all sorts of excuses for our behaviour, but today Pastor Jeff reminds us Jesus doesn't ask us for reasons why. He asks us, what's next? This will become clear as we get into today's message. So here's Pastor Jeff. All right, turn over to Colossians chapter 1, verse 16. Come on now, how many of you know Jason Mraz? How many of you know, tell the truth, you're in church? Okay. Jason Mraz is somebody that I could listen to and put James Taylor away because they're very similar. And my wife was threatening me, so I found somebody. Now, I don't endorse all his lyrics, but he does make me think. I love this song because he challenges us to wake up. He talks about how in his life, there's so many things he wants to take possession of, and he's had that dream since he was a little boy, but it finally dawned on him it's not going to happen without intentionality. He's going to have to wake up before it's over and make those things a reality in his life. So he says, make it mine. Now, we're in a series called Awakenings, and here's what we're doing. We're trying to say, wake up, because most people, I bet you most of you in here have heard hundreds of sermons, hundreds, over and over again. But that doesn't necessarily mean that there was ever a point in your life that you made a a designed choice to forget the past, and start living the way you know Jesus wants you to live. It just means that you soaked in all this information, but it doesn't necessarily mean, ipso facto, you've been changed by it. So we're taking a 40,000-foot view of the gospel, and we're saying we've been down in the trees, now we're up in the forest. We're looking down, and what is it that Jesus wants to say? Because if we haven't gotten these things in our lives, these fundamental, simple things, then what hope do we have of getting the deeper things? So I take you to Colossians chapter 1, verse 16, and here's what the Bible says Remember, Paul is writing to the church at Colossae and he's talking about Jesus. And here's what he says. For by him, by who? (laughs) Jesus. All things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. So everything is made by Jesus. All things were created by him and for him. Now this is in reference to the pre-incarnate Christ. 
Jesus was alive and well long before he walked the face of the earth. In the book of Genesis, the Bible says, let us make man in our own image. And God was speaking. Well, who's us? God, the father, God, the son, God, the Holy Spirit. That's where we get the idea of the Trinity. God, Jesus, together in creation. Everything's made by him and for him. He's given preeminence. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. So the reason you don't just explode or the universe doesn't explode and gravity and everything go out of whack is because Jesus is not over above and beyond all things. He holds all things together now. So at the moment when he decides, I'm tired of holding things together, not that he's physically tired, he just doesn't want to do it anymore. That's the end of the world. That's the end of time as we know it. Now, that's important because right now in America, here's what the sociologists are saying about you and me, good old red-blooded Americans, that we are not healthy inside, that there is more emotional turmoil now than in any generation past. Even though we have more stuff and have more freedom than our parents, there's a 20% increase in the emotional unhealthiness in the American life. So if you're here, you probably would identify with that. A search for significance, you can't understand why you're just not happy and you should be, you have everything you want, or at least a lot more than two thirds of the rest of the world, but you're still not happy. There's not contentment. You think you should have more than you have. You don't have the relationships you have. They're not working out. And this is creating an entire culture that has a sense of entitlement. And now you're unhealthy inside because we're miserable. That's what, they, that's what they're being told. That's why medical drugs of uppers are at an all time high. Now, I don't mean to be simple. Now, you know, that's what preachers say right before they're about to be simple. The problem in today's society is that everybody wants to turn to anything but Jesus to have their needs met. That's the problem. You see what a mistake this is? Jesus knows you better than you know yourself because he put you together bit by bit, piece by piece. In fact, I think you'll like this. Hans Eisenach's study, a classic study in the field of sociology, says that if you're emotionally messed up, and by the looks of you in this room, I'd say that applies to a lot of you. <laughs> but that's okay. That's okay. Uh, I'm thinking of a new book. I'm not okay. You're not okay. But Jesus says, that's okay. I'll take you as you are. But here's the deal. The study came out and told us that if you've got deep emotional problems, if you're emotionally messed up and you go to a psychoanalyst, you got 44% chance of being made well in a year. If you go to a psychotherapist, you have 53% chance of being made well in a year. If you go to a psychiatrist, numbers go up, 61% chance. Now, this is not theory. This is the Hans Eisenick sociology, scientific data research. And if you go to no one at all, says the Hans Eisenick study, you got a 73% chance of being made well <laughs> in one year. So you're more healthy if you just don't go to anybody. Don't you find that scary? I mean, the people who are supposed to be making us well are making us sick or keeping us sick. How many people you know that started counseling in psychology like 25 years ago, they're still paying 80 bucks a pop and they've developed a codependency on the counselor. <laughs> Doesn't that concern you? It concerns me. The problem is the social sciences have ignored the teachings of Jesus for the most part. Even so-called Christian counselors ignore them. Not all. One of the most famous psychiatrists, J.T. Fisher says this, for nearly 2,000 years, the world has been holding in its hands the complete answer to its restless and fruitless yearnings. Now he's talking about the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 through 7. Here rests the blueprint for successful human life with optimism, mental health, and contentment. 
You hear what he's saying? Everything you need to know about emotional health, health, wealth, prosperity, vitality, emotionally speaking, you will find in the pages beginning at Matthew 5 and at the end of Matthew 7. The problem is counselors usually tell us that the source of all of our problems can be related back to what? Mommy. <laughs> our past, right? As a matter of fact, you're not going to believe this. And I know we're a little bit off the path. Stay with me. It'll all come together. Tony Campalo, Eric uh, Champa, told me about an article. So I want to give Tony Campalo credit where I need to give him here. A great, great speaker. But he says that there is nothing more humorous than watching a brilliant man defend or articulate a stupid idea. And he goes into a sociology classroom where they're supposed to have all the answers. And he says, I can't believe I'm hearing this guy. This guy says that all of our troubles can be traced back to toilet training. When mommy made us sit on the potty, it all started there. And he, you're, you, you're like, he's serious. He says, the first demand that society makes upon a man is toilet training. This is symbolic of the demands that society will ever make on an individual. Now he's right. I can remember my mom saying, Jeff, the important thing is to do it at the right place in the right time. You don't want to mess around with that. I, I, I got that. The mother is the communicator of societal demands. Watch her as she pleads with compliance. I remember little Jeffrey, little Jeffrey, you can do it. Do it for mommy. Do it for daddy. You can do it. He says social rebellion is bred as the child looks at mommy and says, no. No. And if the child is tough child and the, and the mother's a tough mother, then what will she say? And I can just hear Betty Vine saying this to her son. You stay there until something happens. <laughs> and the kid stays there. And he works at it really hard. Sometimes for a lot of hours. It's not his fault. And then the sociologist says this, and I'm serious. Right off the page, folks. I'm not making this stuff up. It's too good to make up. Finally, he produces the gift <laughs> for which society has pled. I've never called it a gift. <laughs> then I ask you, ladies and gentlemen, he says, what does society do with this gift that the child has produced on its behalf? Does it honor it? No. The child learns he has produced for society something that has no lasting significance because in the end, what he produces is lost forever in a swirl of depression. <laughs> Good grief. You got to be kidding. He's telling us that we're like Pavlonian dogs. We're just conditioned to act and we're, we're a prisoner to the past and there's nothing we can do about it. Now listen, this is where the, the first crossroads this is where you got to wake up, man. All of us. Jesus says, the past does not determine who or what you are. There's something more important to Jesus and the gospel than your past. What is it? Your future. Jesus never focused on questions like this. Tell me about your mommy. Where have you been? When he caught people in sin, he didn't say, why did you do that? He only said one thing. Where are you going to go from here? And everybody in the room, no matter where you've been, when you walk out the door, you get to make a decision right now to say, okay, I'm changing now. And it is the secret to your emotional vitality. Remember the woman who was caught in adultery? Brought her, threw her down at Jesus. And it's Campolo, by the way, who said, I'll tell you what Jesus was writing in the dirt. The names of those men's girlfriends. 
That's why they ran away. But the point of the whole story is that when she's caught in adultery, he doesn't say, tell me your mom didn't love you. That's why you're trying to find love in five different husbands. He doesn't say, you know what? Your daddy didn't give you significance. That explains why I understand. It's okay. No, all he said was one thing and it had nothing to do with the past nor even the present. It was the future. Go and sin no more. Make a choice. Ladies and gentlemen, listen, the most important thing about you is not where you've been. It's not your past. It's where are you going now? And the reason America, and especially in the church, the reason we're emotionally sick is because we flat out decide that we are not going to do what Jesus asked us to do. Because doing what Jesus asked you to do Going where he asks you to go, being what he asks you to be is tied to your emotional health. And there's got to be a time in your life when you say, I'm going to stop this life of insanity. You know what insanity is? Doing the same thing over and over, expecting a different result. So you've tried it your way long enough. Now it's time to say, I'm not going to pursue insanity. I'm going to do what Jesus told me to do. It involves risk. I don't know how it's going to work out, but if my life's not working out now, I'm going to try his way. And you can walk out the door today and say, I'm going to be what Jesus wants me to be, do what he wants me to do. And I'm going to respond to the life the way he wants me to respond. You come into this place. I know sometimes on people on the weekend, they'll say, Jeff, you don't know. You don't understand. I'm sick. You're sick. You belong here then because we're all sick. Yes. Jeff, I've had a rough and rugged past. Welcome to the club. <laughs> you passed your entrance exam with flying colors. You're in. Jeff, my mommy mistreated me. Now look, I'm not saying I don't care. I do. I do care. But there ain't a person in this world who ain't got a burden to bear, so says Bagger Vance to Captain Juno. And my advice to you on that is this. Suck it up and get over it. I love you, I do. But by procrastinating health, it's just going to lead to more death. And if I sugarcoat it and say it'll all be okay, honey, it won't until you get intentional about doing what Jesus asked you to do, being what he asked you to be. That's the secret to health, wealth, and vitality. You're not following Christ in your sex life? Start following him in your sex life. Because you haven't made a connection with the fact that you feel unwhole and unhealthy and struggling inside with the fact that you're willingly disobeying Jesus. <laughs> you're not listening to Jesus about not living with your boyfriend until you're married. And yet you don't understand why you have these feelings of insecurity and you're just not sure and you're struggling. You don't know if he loves you and you've not made the connection between that and the way Jesus tells you to live. What, what do you want me to say? I can't say it any differently. Yet I know it's prevalent in every church. You're not following Jesus in your finances. No, not given to him what is his, and you haven't made the, uh, the connection between the emotions and the struggle that you're feeling and your worry and concern about things with the fact that you're in direct disobedience to God and what you do with your money. You're not seeking Christ's teachings on forgiveness. You just won't forgive that person who hurt you on mercy, on seeking the higher things, on using your gifts that God gave you to expand his kingdom in the world, on keeping a regular appointment and time with God every day. And yet you've not You've not made the deduction that there is a relationship between your unwillingness to do what Jesus says to do and the emotional wreck that you are inside? Listen, let me be careful here. 
I'm not downplaying it. I know it's true. I got my own emotional battles to fight. I'm not doubting your past. All I'm saying is Jesus says, repent, stop, turn around and do what I'm asking you to do. And I'm saying until we, not until you, I'm saying until we, all of us, problems of my own, right? I've shared that. I've been, I've been very honest. Folks, if you knew the sin in my life, you'd never listen to me. If I knew the sin in yours, I'd never talk to you. So it's okay. <laughs> what I'm saying, what I'm saying, listen, what I'm saying, I don't always get it right. Neither do you, but I know this. I can't blame the past. Jesus says, what are you going to do now? And folks out of that deep pit and I try to hide and I will confess, man, I came out of it. My countenance was lifted because I was at Dodger Stadium on Friday when the angels whipped us. Dodger. And my, and my countenance was even lifted higher last night. So, and that, that just goes to show you how shallow I am. That something like a sport could lift me out of my state of emotional turmoil. You see what I mean? The good news of the gospel is this. If I will commit myself to doing what Jesus says to do, being who Jesus says to be and living like Jesus said I should live, you will get healthy again. You will be made well. It may not happen overnight, but you'll be on a journey and you'll come to that place in your life when one day you'll realize I am emotionally healthy and you get to decide today. You say, Jeff, I can't. Why not? Well, it's risky. What are you going to risk? I might be disappointed. That's your life now. There's no risk. There's none. When you walk out of the door, I'm begging you. Do what Jesus tells you to do. Be who he tells you to be. Live like he tells you to live and you will find what you're looking for. Here's the second thing quickly. Who we are, according to sociologists, who we are and what we are is determined by the most important person in our lives. You know they tell us that? Who we are and what we are will be determined by the most important person in our lives. Charles Tooley, who's an American sociology king, he is the king of sociology, developed what is called the looking glass self. And here's how he describes it. A person's self-concept is determined by what he thinks the most important person in his life thinks about him. So the most important person in your eyes, whatever that person thinks about you to a large degree will determine what you think about yourself. Now, you know where I'm going with this, don't you? My buddy that I played high school basketball with, there were five starters. There was us four, then there was another guy, and he was a plateau way above all the rest of us. Full scholarship to uh, South Carolina, the Gamecocks. Great player. But he didn't, well, he just wasn't sensitive. He was very arrogant. He knew he was good, and I know you've never met anybody like that, but that's the way he was. And we would do a basketball camp in my hometown every year for the little kids. You know, so these... All players would come in there and do this camp. And by this time, we were all playing college basketball and we would come back to this camp and here were the, you know, we had our version of the five, the five uh, slamma jamma, whatever. I'm getting old. I can't even remember those terms. But anyway, we go in there and there are these kids around. And there was this one kid named Cameron who basically ignored all four of us. He idolized this guy I told you about. Just idolized him. Hung on every word. And he didn't have a lot of athletic ability, but he tried really hard, you know. And this guy that I just mentioned, which I'm avoiding his name, walked over to little Cameron. I remember when Cameron was trying to do a basketball drill and said to him, Cameron, man, why don't you just give up? You're never going to mount to anything. You're definitely not going to be a good ball player and just walked away. I saw Cameron's mother about 10 years later, and she told me that Cameron never got over that 
And because this guy was the guy that was the most important guy in Cameron's life, Cameron thought that he was a loser and would never amount to anything. Therefore, he didn't. Isn't that amazing? The power of words, moms and dads. Now, here's what I want to say to you. 40,000 foot view. Jesus asked every single one of you this one question, and you better listen. This is, I mean, this is fundamental stuff. Who is the most important person in your life? Can't be your mommy, your daddy, your husband, or your wife. Those are important people, not even your children. Jesus says, it's got to be me. As a matter of fact, in the gospels, he says, you're all in or stay out. In Luke chapter 14, verse 26, he says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his mother or father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Now, the word in the Greek there is not the word hate. It's a word that means lesser love. It's a word that tries to say in comparison that you've given Jesus such preeminence in your life that in comparison, it appears that you hate all others but Jesus. What he's saying is that your highest love is for Jesus Christ. Now, I want you to hear me. Notice how we're right here in simplicity and that's as deep as we're gonna go. Listen, it is not enough for you to believe in Jesus. It is not enough for you to believe in Jesus. The devil believes in Jesus. James tells us this. He believes in the crucifixion. He believes in the resurrection. He believes in the second coming. He even believes in atonement for sin. They believe. Jesus says, you must give me preeminence in your life. I must be the most important thing in your life. Just because you have right theology and go to the right church and the right place at the right time is not enough. Jesus must be given first place in your life before you can be emotionally, psychologically well. If you don't entrust every part of you to Christ, how can you expect him to heal every part of you? And every part you leave out, that you assume on your own accord. By the way, remember the simple uh, triangle illustration by Plato where you would draw a triangle? And he would say, at the base of the triangle representing your life, you would write all the things that are important, all the things that you find significant. And as you get older, you go up the triangle and the base gets smaller, smaller, smaller until you get to the apex. And at the apex, there's only room for one thing in your life. Whatever that one thing is, Plato says, that will determine the manner in which you live. So here's my question. If I follow you for the next four weeks and I watch you very carefully, your life, I watch where you spend your time, where you spend your money. If I could climb into your head and think, okay, what are your thought processes? What do you give the greatest energy of your thoughts to? Would I stand back then and say, wow, here's somebody that has given Jesus preeminence in their lives. And because of that, they are emotionally well. If you don't give him that place, it's unfair to expect him to make you well. Now, last week, a lady came and she was in tears most of the service. Something resonated with her. Now, what's interesting about this lady, she was the hardest one to get here, but she came and I could tell something was going on. I saw her Monday morning. She was over having a break and reading her little blue jean Bible. Remember the Bibles with blue jean covers. And I walked over to talk to her 
something is different. And she told me, I can't remember having the peace I've wanted in my life since I was 10 years old. But I came there last week and I heard you talk about reflecting on my life and it dawned on me. I'm not healthy, but I'm not healthy because I've been avoiding God. I'm back. And she asked me this morning, do you know of a good daily devotional? And now all her life is just circling around one idea all of a sudden. She's enamored. Do you know why? She understands until you give everything to Jesus and he becomes preeminent, the peace you're looking for will not be found. You've been listening to Today with Jeff Vines. Thanks for joining us. Next time, we'll bring you the rest of this message from Pastor Jeff. Until you stop seeing Jesus as the big bad boss who's gonna smack you over the head with a hammer every time you fail, you will never be emotionally well. You gotta get to the point when you see him for who he really is. Your heavenly father who looks down and says, Jeff, I can't believe you did that. If you would just follow my way, you would be emotionally healthy. But you know what, Jeff? I still believe in you. You can listen to more messages like this. Just search for Today with Jeff Vines wherever you get your podcasts. You make me Today. 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 Today with Jeff Fines. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.